This week on Slashers, the boys are talking about a movie from your childhood you probably wish you could forget. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear a special track from our friends Alouth. This is Slashers, a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. My name is Jake, and with me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, co-host, and cohort, Brian. Brian, say hello to the mutant goons from beyond. What's going on, goons? All right. It's time for this movie. Brian, regale us with this last installment of this April Fool's tomfoolery, and describe for us the horrors that await. All right. So picture this, guys. You have a young girl believed to suffer from mental illness, and she is stalked by a sexually lurid poltergeist who ultimately forced her to commit acts of vandalism and assault. Is this It Follows? What the fuck is this? (laughs) This sounds terrifying. It's terrifyingly bad. (laughs) Big bong, boom, we're doing. So I married an axe murderer for a second time. It's Drop Dead Fred, but I mean, honestly, it's, well. It's better than So I Married an Axe Murderer, I'll tell you that. He makes the trouble, she takes the blame. Let's just go one for one. I'll say a tagline, you say a tagline, because there's about 50 of them. Yeah, there really is. Imagine having this guy for a friend. He makes the trouble, she takes the blame. It's the same one. Let him out. That one's so dumb. (laughs) With imaginary friends like this, who needs enemies? Dishes, relationships, wind. This guy breaks everything. Unusual, uncontrollable, unleashed, unreal. And then it's the same one, except this is clearly the British version. He creates havoc. She takes the blame. <laughs> Fuck, is this creates havoc? Makes trouble. It's oh. fun getting into trouble. Is that an American institution? Yeah, yeah, that's fun. A a bit of trouble. A bit of the old ultra-violence, if I'm right. (laughs) I don't know what it is with certain accents, British accents and Australian accents, but I always get them confused. Got eye, mate. I don't know if it's something that a lot of people come up with or, you know, run into, but... I was just like, oh, that's weird. He's got like an Australian accent. Michelle's like, you're an idiot. That's that's clearly a British accent. Like, the way that I always justify cool? Australian is it's basically like a, a Texas version of British where they're related enough, but they're different enough. You know what I mean? So it's British twang. Yeah, I could totally see that. Like Creole, they are they have a French degree of it, but it's different than like a Canadian French or rather French Canadian. But like, you know, there's semblances, but it's not as if you're taking like Japanese and comparing it to Portuguese, right? Okay. They overlap enough to I'll give you a pass. But if they were like completely different dialects, then I'd be like, oh my God, Brian, what an idiot. Well, you know, I take the cake in that category. But uh, yeah, it was fun. It was stupid movie. It was fun. It's a good one to end the month on, right? I mean, it's not the best one that we did of this month. It's not the worst one. Correct. It's, I feel like it's an in-betweener. 
Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a classic trashic to me. Like it's it is a perfectly good bad movie, and that is all. Wait, are are we are we done with the episode? Yep, there we go. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Five people. That's right. During the coronavirus, a whole five people are downloading our episode, and you are one of them. Thank you for comprising twenty percent of our listening audience. Oh man, yikes! It's rough out there. <laughs> I'm hoping that like when shit gets real and traffic comes and so does pollution, people will just flood and like pour into the back episodes. But that won't yeah. happen. I think it's really sad that they're having this like big articles and uh, news posts about like all these national parks that have been closed for so long and how all the animals are coming out in abundance and they're just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. But everybody's also dying from this pandemic. And it's, <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't know if I should be cheering or like Did you sad see, about it. Uh, Patton Oswalt had a tweet where he was like, Anne Frank lived in a fucking attic for years with nothing. And it's like people have been in their houses for three weeks with Netflix video games and food and are willing to die via viral death to storm the Capitol and say, oh, reopen fun records. Yeah, exactly. Or like the people that just can't like get over the fact that they can't get their nails done or something. And they're just like, no, nah, I got to go and, and meet up with people to go get shit done. You know, one of know. my all time favorites memes going around. Right now, there's a lady who uh, was offering on, Facebook's like, oh yeah, if you ever need anything, I'm I do hair, nails, makeup, you name it. And so this lady's like, girl, where you work at? You know, I need to get my hair did. And she's like, I'm a mortician. Please do go outside and I'll see you soon. <laughs> That's so good. Sick burn. Dude, right? Yeah. Hook line and sphincter. I said sphincter. Aha. Instead of okay. Did you know this movie was quote unquote remade in 2015 as Imagine Gary instead of Imaginary? I've never heard of that. Didn't see it, but it seems like they that kind of took the steam because in 2009 they were going to do an, a remake and it was going to star Russell Brand, but he butt fucking ruined Arthur in 2011. So they were just like, nope. <laughs> They're like, sorry, nope, never again. Um, that guy can die. He took Katy Perry from me. Go to hell. <laughs> apparently in uh 90, 1991 when it came out siskel said it was the worst film of the year which is crazy i mean i feel like that guy also likes to like pat himself on the back and be like the quote-unquote expert on all things movies so for sure gene was a lot more critical i mean ebert i feel like is way more liberal and like it, he likes a bunch of schlocky shit there are plenty of times where I go back and I look at reviews and I'm like, hey, wait, he gave it three stars for this bucket of shit. Awesome. But Gene is <laughs> was always like, nope, fuck you. <laughs> so uh, I really like that the TriStar head at the time, Mike Metavoy, described the film as, quote, a children's movie on drugs. Yeah, I remember watching this as a kid and not really getting the subtle, not so subtle jokes within the film because yeah. after the fact, I'm like, wow, those weren't subtle at all. <laughs> he looked at a woman's pussy, not her vagina. Multiple, multiple times. Yeah. It wasn't even the same gag on the same person. It was like multiple actresses and he's just like, oh, there's upskirt. Okay. Let me have it. <laughs> I kind of wish that he would have compared them. Like, look at the labia oh, on this one. They're much more oh, tight. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. 
That's a pretty rough movie, man. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happened in this film that I really just don't feel like my parents paid too much attention to what I was watching at the time. Like the whole uh, pulling of the grape and the the waiter's like <laughs> outfit falls and oh, it shows yeah. his bare butt and stuff. Like, or wow. the fact that Carrie Fisher is fucking her boss who's having an affair. Yeah. That's weird. All kinds of stuff like that. And you're just like, well, that's, I mean, you're super casual about that. So I, you know, but more is power there to any you. payoff to that? I don't remember there being. Yeah, definitely not. It was, it was a strange role for Carrie Fisher. Yeah. But I mean, anything that doesn't involve her being in the slave girl bikini is going to be a strange role. Right. <laughs> I remember one time a guy tried to like roast her on the internet and he was like, Oh yeah, a real great example you're setting for young women out there, Carrie Fisher. And she's like, you realize that I was being victimized by a disgusting slug like yourself, right? Like that's oh, the whole point. Like dude. she didn't choose to dress like a skank. She was made to by an evil gangster. You fucking idiot. Yeah. What an idiot. I'm sure he looked exactly like Jabba. <laughs> yeah. He's got the moves like Jabba. Got the moves like Sorry, I saw Brian drinking and I was like, I got to try and make him spit all over his computer and it didn't work. <laughs> Please do not do that. It might happen, but. Whoa, ho, ho, solo. <laughs> Shall I get into the statistics for this week? Let's do it. On a budget of a whopping $6,788,000, we're looking at a worldwide of $13,878,334, which when you take into account marketing and everything, not that great. Ouch. Not that great at all. Yeah. And then you look at like, did you happen to notice the potential actors and actresses that were potentially supposed to be on the film? You had like Robin Williams, you had Jim Carrey, you had all these different, like really, really star studded, like actors and it could have made you know a lot of money and then a, somebody else was supposed to direct it right wasn't it supposed to be like tim burton or something they had offered it to him he said no this movie i think could be fucking amazing if like terry jones had done a rewrite of it and you know it's just it's almost there you know like terry jones is great because you know of the python he was able to do american and british a good even key like look at labyrinth Right. There's British sensibilities when it comes to like, hello. No, I said hello, right, but that's right. close enough. And like, just it's not alienating to an American audience. And I feel like this movie, like, there are certain parts where you're like, what the fuck? Why is he pippity poppitying to me? Yeah. That's another thing that I think is really strange about this film is that it's, it's not quite PG, but it's not quite, I wouldn't go as far as say like closer rated R, but it's in between PG and PG 13. So it's really hard to kind of find your target audience. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Actually, funny you mentioned it. So Rick Mail, the guy who plays Drop Dead Fred, had said that it was too sentimental for British audiences and then too over the top for American audiences. And like one of the examples he gave. So we'll get into it a bit. I guess we'll get into it now because I said so. (laughs) But the wine tasting event takes place at an art gallery and they were filming there and they had to assure the place where they were filming. Oh, this is this is a tasteful picture. Blah, blah, blah. So they already get on the radar of the people there because of the toga scene where the guy gets bare ass and his peckers dancing around as he runs away. Well, then there was another scene that they were shooting downstairs in the bathroom where he was watching women poop and they're like, okay, no, I'm sorry, what? Exactly. And so, I mean, that's the thing is it's like, 
which like stay in a fucking lane like yeah it doesn't work insane that's insane so now it makes me wonder do you think this could have been executed a little better if it were rated r and you were to keep the kid stuff in the very beginning of the film when it comes to her as a young child right and then you completely separate that as her as an adult and then you have all these hijinks happen but more of like the adult nature like as far as like you know what i mean like people getting caught doing um sexy time things like her friend cheating on or cheating with her boss and his wife and somehow drop dead fred like showing up or having like his wife you know what I mean? Appear or show up. You 100%. Know, something like along those lines. You know what I mean? I totally. Yeah. I had thought about that when I was going through it, especially when I was like trying to pair it with a horror film. And what I had come up with was I think it would be way funnier if Fred was a child. And what I mean by that is the degree of impishness and mischief works better that way as opposed to like a man. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a little bit more believable when you have somebody that is childlike and and has that almost innocence of playing practical jokes as a kid. Exactly. You know, the character is supposed to be like your Superman, Mr. Mixelplick, but it's just he's just not quite there. And I feel like he's too rooted. Like there was a couple of times they do visual gags, but not enough. You know, obviously budget's a huge issue there, but he just it just felt like a fucking neurotic guy. And it didn't feel like magic or imagination at all for a lot of it. And so I totally see where it just feels like what the fuck is going on. Like you're rubbing poop on yourself. But like if a kid's <laughs> rubbing poop on themselves, you're like kids do that. Kids rub poop on themselves <laughs> because he and her are so oil and water. Seeing how he is a construct of her own mind, basically aside from the British accent, like linking him to her dad, there's not really a whole lot that like would lend itself to be like, oh, I designed this character because of myself. So when it's like trying to allude to the fact that she's insane and that he is actually not a real poltergeist or whatever, you know what I mean? That's the thing. It's like, it's too all over the place. Is he fucking real or isn't he? And is it supposed to be a mystery? It's not supposed to be a mystery. It's very straight lace. It's just weird. Am I right? Am I making it? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And then you have, you have Carrie Fisher who doesn't help in any of this in that she originally is like super skeptical and then she's like nope you know what I'm on board where is he and you're just like okay I don't understand so you're actually believing this crazy person or she you think she's not crazy and she actually has a, a make-believe friend that's doing all this crazy shit so it's got to be one or the other I don't know yeah I don't it's the the situation with her in the hallway where she's like punching the ground and all that stuff with her you know high-heeled shoe I'm like this is just, it doesn't feel right. It just feels a bit askew, but maybe that has to do with uh, Eight De Jong. Uh, it sounds like he ate the dong from uh, <laughs> Ardenburg, Zeeland, Netherlands, who attended the Dutch Film Academy doing this film. Now, Brian, I only mention that because I do it every episode, but also he did highway to hell from 1991, which is, and there's a couple they're eloping. The bride uh, gets abducted by demons and her fiance has to save her from hell. And it has Ben and Jerry Stiller and Gilbert Gottfried plays Hitler. <laughs> Anytime that you can say Gilbert Gottfried plays Hitler in a sentence. I mean, 
it's a win, right? Yeah. So basically, my lamentation is that we didn't review that movie instead. <laughs> I was like, Highway to Hell, that's ACDC came out in 1991. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So <laughs> I have to go back. Had you ever heard of a movie called Oscar? No. Okay. So April 20, this movie came out April 19th, 1991. Oscar came out April 26, 1991, directed by John Buttfucking Landis, starring Sylvester Buttfucking Stallone. How have I not seen that movie? What's it about? He's like a mob guy. Huh. And it's a comedy. Like, fuck yeah. I'm, that's everything to me. So it's a, it's a comedy about a mobsters and it's not Get Shorty. Yeah, right. <laughs> so almost a month to the day later on May 17th, you had What About Bob came out and like just juxtaposed this movie with that movie and the the idea of like a descent into madness. This movie has like a certain degree of just like pure cringe to it. But like, what about Bob? Like, oh, he's losing his mind. Like Richard Dreyfus <laughs> loses it. This isn't a knock at Phoebe Cates at all. That's not my point. It's the structure of the story. She's just like, yeah. oh, I'm suddenly really upset. But then I'm just going to like, I don't know. She's just, I don't know, very dude, her character, her character within this film is really kind of hard to stand behind, right? You have her just being the wilting Lily. Yeah. The downtrod like girl who gets taken advantage of, but you know what? She can't see the error of her ways or she, I almost want to call her like, what's it called? Stockholm. Dude. <laughs> absolutely. Like Stockholm syndrome. To him too. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Right. You're how many times. And, you know, you got to give credit to what the fuck's his name? Mathis. Um, Mathis Brothers? No. Who was the guy that she was married to? I forget the actor's name. Dick Holberg. <laughs> Anyways, he, he, he portrays an asshole very, very well. Right. And he's just like, oh, well, you're my wife and I love you. But at the same time, I like this chick, too. So, yeah, uh, I got to go with both of you. <laughs> it was Tim Matheson as Charles. There you go. Tim Mathis Brothers. I like it. <laughs> so going to some of the other statistics and trivia on the film, the runtime, 103 minutes. It's a little too long. It's way too long. It's Not a, a fan of that. Too long. Yeah, you could legitimately cut a significant amount of this film and I'd be fine with it. Like the boat, do not care at all. I mean, it's like you can see the fun props and everything, like the water spraying up and all of the different gadgets and gears spinning. And you're like, oh, my God, that's fun. And then he has like a cool little captain's outfit or like that is, I will outfit. say that's pretty fucking legit, though. Uh, I also <laughs> have to say it kind of reminds me of some ring gear I saw Christopher Daniels wear. The Fallen Angel. Yeah. Yeah. So the film was written by, well, the story was Anthony Fingleton. Written by Elizabeth Livingston, which this is her only credit on IMDb, but then the actual writing, the heavy lifting seems to have been by Carlos Davis. Fun thing about Anthony Fingleton and Carlos Davis, they both did The Hurricane Heist, which is a movie that came out in 2018, which people actually liked, but I didn't see. And a lot of people have been critical of this film, comparing it to the Jonathan Carroll short story, Mr. Fiddlehead, which was a publication in 1989, and then Carroll's novel, a child across the sky. Uh, so yeah, Jonathan Carroll, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Interesting idea theft, maybe question mark. Th that's always my favorite when I'm looking at trivia, and it's like, oh yeah, well this also happened. It's like, okay, cool. Like, do people ever see that? Like, well, did you know this film was distributed by New Line Cinema? Because they're like, oh yeah, 
everywhere else fucking hates this movie. Oh, shit. I didn't get into it. Disney almost made this movie, but they wanted to get rid of Malik and they wanted, or Ray, Rick, Rick Mayle. They want to get rid of that fucking nut job. And they wanted Goldie Hawn to play Elizabeth. Would that be the best shit ever? Goldie Hawn, Mrs. Kurt Russell. As as Lizzie, the main the main yeah. girl, right? Yeah. Mm. Awesome. So anyway, that would be it gets all the way over to New Line. And Sarah Reicher is the only person who liked it. And she saw it as a reversal of A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was allegedly supposed to be ending that year with Freddy's Dead subtitle, The Final Nightmare. Not. This is not the final nightmare. They're trying to say that this was too similar to Nightmare on Elm Street. No, they did make it because they thought that that franchise was ending. So they wanted to have like that kind of supernatural and they were kind of branching out into more like family friendly stuff with less horror. And because by this point, you have to keep in mind, they had just distributed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is at the time the biggest fucking movie, the biggest independent film of all time at that time. So they're like, oh, there's something to this like plucky, weird kid shit. And then they made this movie. And then they made this and they're like, we struck gold. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the music was done by Rond- Randy Edelman, who did the score for Ghostbusters 2, The Mask, Twins, and Billy Madison. And I feel like this is so similar to Billy Madison. Do you? Yeah, I can, I can see that. Like, especially when it comes to Billy Madison was one where he was chasing the penguin around. Yes. I think so. Right. And exactly. like you hear the music and it's like, do, 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 do. Like, I can imagine the same shit happening in this movie. Exactly. And so in this film, there's no original or there's no like songs. It's all just original score. And that almost makes it feel a little bit less. I don't know if the capriciousness of it, it makes it feel more like a made for TV Disney movie. Like what I would really love is if they put in like songs from her youth. You like this movie would play a lot better today with like eighties nostalgia because w- when she would have those flashbacks, you'd put on like I want candy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so people would be like, oh, this you know, it seems a little bit more plucky as opposed to this being just like, why am I watching this movie? <laughs> it's definitely a rough one. So we ready to get into nicknames? Snicknames? Dicknames. Nicknames. So first we have Phoebe Cates as Elizabeth Cronin. The movie would be so much better if it was Elizabeth Cronenberg, am I right? <laughs> like a fucking tentacle coming out of her titties? Oh my God. <laughs> I was thinking of definitely some tentacles, but they weren't coming out of titties. Well, that's just obscene. <laughs> Don't turn internal genitalia into external genitalia. It takes genitalia that's already external and externalize it. Maybe it's just a little too cliche. <laughs> well, if they're coming out of the vagina instead of into it, I think that maybe it's unique in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a weird anime. I don't know. It probably exists, though. That's the scary thing I'm learning about anime. <laughs> yeah. We love you anime freaks, though. Woo! So if you guys are if you're fans of anime, hey, we're fans of anime. Yeah, exactly. Whatever you, if you pay us, I'm a fan of it. <laughs> Boy, howdy. So Phoebe Cates, she was in, what was that movie she was in? Gremlins, motherfucker, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is when we reviewed Gremlins, we called her Fast Times because of the whoo, when I got to see her tentacles in the red bikini in that movie. Yeah, that was Fast Times is also basically how quick it was for me to uh, when I watched that, when I watched that scene my god 
Hoo-wee. So now that we've been obscene. Let's put it this way. I definitely wore out that videotape. <laughs> <laughs> rewind, rewind, rewind. And then you break it and then you just take the bit of film and you put it over your lamp so it's projected on your ceiling. Yeah, like some creepy fucking serial killer that's looking at like dismembered fucking body parts. I love it. Yeah. Why do you nah. say that like it's a bad thing? <laughs> Going back, she had like retired from acting for like 20 years. But then in 2015, she went back and she reprised the role of Kate from Gremlins in Lego Dimensions. That's like the coolest shit ever, right? So did they have little Lego Gremlins? Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, dude, that's pretty sweet. I'm a big fan. Pretty much anything with Lego does. Did you watch Lego Masters, Brick Masters, whatever the fuck that show's called? Uh, I feel like that was made in a time where they had a show about literally anything. And I'm like, nope. nope. Well, it just, it just nope. had a season finale last or this week. So this is, is a new thing. It's good. Uh, Will Arnett is the host of it. And he basically makes fun of it all the time because he's the guy who did the voice of Lego Batman. So, I mean, oh, okay. it's very tongue in cheek and it's amazing what those people do. I thought that I was a creative type and I saw these people and I was like, well, fuck you guys. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of cool seeing the Lego universe as far as what they can virtually turn into Legos, yeah. which is essentially everything. Yes, D, all of the above. <laughs> and how expensive are those fucking sets? Woo-wee. Legos are like the proto Funko Pops. It's like everything has one, but at least these do something and you can like be creative versus a Funko Pop. Like my buddy got me the Skeletor. That uh, was like battle armor Skeletor. It was a collector thing that they had at uh, Comic-Con one year. And I just gave it to my, or I had it in a shelf and my daughter found it. And she's like obsessed with it. Skeletor is her new favorite fucking thing in the world. We've listened to He-Man and the Master of the Universe theme song a thousand times. She loves it. And you so, look like you're pretty happy about it. Oh, I love it so much. Today, she got so excited listening to the He-Man and the Master of the Universe theme. She threw Skeletor into the air and broke his staff. And I could just imagine my friend David being like, ha! <laughs> I was like, it's supposed to be fucking played with. So I just glued the thing yeah. together and now it's the same Skeletor. Yeah. And you know what? That's so crazy because if I were to first meet you, go into your garage, see the shelf of comics in their little plastic uh, covers on the container, and then you were to say, hey, here's a collector's item that I'm just going to give to my daughter. Yep. But you know what? Parenthood apparently makes people do some fun things, right? Truly, because now I'm like, none of this stuff has like nothing has value except for what people are willing to pay for. Right. So like all of my comics are worth thousands of dollars to the right person. But to you, you're like, I'll buy it for a buck. And so I realized (laughs) that I just wasted my money. But, you know, I had a lot of fun collecting them. And, you know, if my kids like it, great. And if they don't, whatever. I mean, it's only taking up 50 cubic feet of my garage. And you know, another thing too, when it comes to all these collectibles, once upon a time when the internet wasn't really such a big thing, uh, and it was just basically, hey, what's your ASL? (laughs) You had to actually go out and physically trade or make transactions with people. And it was like, if you had something very rare, uh, word kind of spread by mouth. And like, that's how you almost were able to sell things for a lot more than they're actually worth. Whereas now, if you have something and you're like, hey guys, I have something that's really cool. And then you type in that thing on the old Google search and there's 
thousands of other people that have the same thing, if not a little more rare than yours. Oh, yeah. I remember having Chrono Trigger on Super Nintendo and being like, the king shits. And now I'm like, oh, I have it on my Android and I also have a ROM of it <laughs> that I got for free. So I'm not cool anymore. Yeah. So going back to what we were originally talking about when it comes to Legos, do you ever think to yourself, at least I just thought of it right now, Legos are essentially like a 3D puzzle. Yes. Right? 100%. You're almost in like a maze where you have to figure out which part goes into what whatever, right? Not a maze. I guess that's the wrong word, but definitely like a puzzle. A right? lament configuration for our horror fans. Yes. Yeah. From Hellraiser, the puzzle box. Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah. Hey, hey, I wonder if they have a puzzle box fucking um, Pandora. Or like a puzzle box Pandora, but a Lego uh, Pandora's box. I'm Googling Lego Hellraiser. Oh, wow. There's actually other things. People have made their own and they're delightful. I might be buying some of these. These are adorable. (laughs) They even have little pins and pinhead. Could you imagine having like a little decorative Pandora's box on like your coffee table and just like spruce it up? And for like the people that just have no idea, they're like, oh, that looks so nice. That's fun. (laughs) What do you keep in there? Some paper clips? And I'm like, I keep on holy pleasures. (laughs) (laughs) The butthole puckers real tight. Did you know she's married to Kevin Klein? Who's that guy? The nerd from Wild Wild West, Jim West, Desperado, Rough Rider. No, you don't want nada. None of this. Kenneth Branagh's a racist. Are they still married? Yeah, they have two kids who are both actors. One of them was in The Squid and the Whale where a kid rubs cum on a book. (laughs) I've I've talked about this movie on the show. It's fucking terrifying. I thought it was going to be a good movie. So I was like, okay, I'll buy it. And then I... that. I stopped buying movies unless I'd seen them. (laughs) Little kids straight up rubs come on the books at school and they have to have like a counseling session about it. It's fucking awful. I hate everything called the squid and the whale. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So anyway, that's her kid. Uh, (laughs) Maybe it was his imaginary friend, drop dead Fred, who made him rub the cum on the book. Did anybody ask that question? Now, was it a sperm whale? Oh, sticky situation. (laughs) So she's also the daughter of director and producer Joseph Cates, who was really cool. He did a bunch of stand-up specials and stuff for Steve Martin and Johnny Cash. And then she's the niece of producer-director Gilbert Cates. And Ashley Peldon plays the young Elizabeth. And guess what? I couldn't be bothered to find any information on her because I (laughs) rushed. (laughs) Very good. Very good. So we're calling her Fast Times. Fast Times. So next, you have Rick Mail as Drop Dead Fred. Yeah, anything for him? Anything fun? Maybe I'll steal your gimmick and be like, not Jim Carrey, not Robin <sighs> Williams, not likable. Yeah, my God. I think one of the scenes, especially I feel like when they go to the gala, and I always feel like I, in my mind, called it a gala. Gala. But maybe right, yeah. that's just me. Same. And when he shows up to the gala with her, he's in like that green tuxedo. And I'm like, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Totally Jim Carrey is a joker. Am I wrong? Totally. Or, feel it. You know, I was also feeling like he is also not Simon Pegg. Oh, I could totally see that as well. <laughs> Although, I mean, Simon Pegg would be considerably younger. Like, I'd also really be into that casting. Like, if I'm honest, that could be really fun. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, pancake face. I was literally just thinking that. And it's like, that's not even creative. <laughs> so you're saying I'm not creative. Well, fine, Brian. I'm going to leave. 
You could no, finish no. recording this episode by yourself. What's what's amazing about this is like I feel like you're like one of the most creative people I've ever met. So for you to say pancake face, that makes me like have a little bit of boost of uh self-esteem there. So for you to say something like that and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> yeah, man. There's a lot of really interesting trivia on the dude. Did you know I didn't realize this until I was looking up some stuff afterwards? He was an extra in the pub, the slaughtered lamb at uh, in an American werewolf in London. Yeah. That's like one of the greatest horror films of all time. And he was in it? Yeah. He's in the background. He's like one of the guys at a table and he's, uh, what do you call it? He's like wearing a sweater. Oh, okay. Super cool. Interesting. He was also in shock treatment. I'm I'm going to feel really, really bad about this if he didn't do this on purpose. But was his eyes... Cockeyed? Kind of... Yeah. Was he doing that on purpose? Was one of has, them going this way and one of them going that way? It's like, is is that something that he just kind of like, okay, this is how I am and I'm going to make a career out of like having fun eyeballs that do this thing? Woo! Or like, can he not control that and I'm just an asshole? I didn't notice it that much. I noticed it at really? times, but not. I didn't feel like it was omnipresent. Yeah, maybe he just specifically can control, you know what I mean? The different eyeballs. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like a chameleon. That would make me feel a lot better. The chameleon would explain why he's wearing green, Brian. Like Skarsgård from uh, It. Oh, Billy. Yeah, dude. Makes his eyeballs go all wonky. Yeah. A little bit of foreshadowing there to what I'm pairing this movie with in terms of horror. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I found it really interesting. He said, quote, I'm a difficult person to interview. Everything I have to say is in my performance. I don't really like to give too much away. Going on, he was like, it's difficult for me to look into the eyes of a journalist and trust him to present it as you say. And then he said, quote, I'm frightened of interviews, quote, but then I found a bunch of good quotes about him. So he's very interesting. He's uh, he's worried about all that fake news, huh? Yeah. Well, not anymore because he's dead. After being crushed by a quad in April of 1998, he had two hematomas and a fractured skull. And then basically his health just started to degenerate from there. Oddly enough, there was a really weird coincidence where while he was hospitalized with the hematomas and the brain thing, a special came out called Four Men in a Car, and he gets crushed by a car in that. Oh, my God. Yeah, he ultimately had a heart attack after jogging at age 56. So I was like, Jesus Christ, that's not what I expected. When was that? That was in like, what, 2004, I think? Something when he passed. Yeah, so I want to say I saw something somewhere where apparently Robin Williams was supposed to be portrayed as drop dead fred well he didn't take the role and he instead took the character uh for hook peter banning right exactly and um you know they both go off and do their own thing well apparently they both ended up dying in the same year crazy right yeah i thought that was kind of cool dark. i mean not cool kind of dark yeah right. kind of interesting you're like yeah Yay, i'm glad they're dead no that's not what i'm saying <laughs> Very interesting, cool in an interesting way. Yeah, yeah. He, he was insistent about how much he preferred stage acting to live acting, talking about like having the immediacy of a reaction and everything. And you could definitely see it. Like he, you could tell he was not overly fond of like the Hollywood thing. His movie career was not great. He did a lot of TV work instead. He was very bitter about the fact he was originally set to play Peeves the Poltergeist in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but they cut it because he kept fucking around on the set and making the kids laugh. And then they had him like turn his back to the kids to deliver his lines, but they still kept laughing. So they fired him, but he still got paid. So he didn't really give a fuck. 
He did oh, say, shit. he said of the film, uh, quote, with respect, no, with no respect at all, the film was shit. <laughs> That's so good. And then it became like one of the greatest fucking franchise films of all time. Awkward. Yep. So then we had Carrie Fisher as Janie, Janie. We could call her Aerosmith because Janie's got a gun, but we're probably going to call her Princess Leia. Am I right? Yeah. Or um, God damn it. What the fuck's her name? Who's the other chick that had short hair? She was in Halloween. Not Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis. <laughs> oh, man. I saw a picture of Jamie Lee Curtis in her younger years, like doing like a fashion shoot. And I was like, huh? yeah, well, huh? I mean, do you ever feel like one of your nuts got kicked without ever having to touch it? <laughs> Just me. No, you, me, me, you. <laughs> I mean, the OG Halloween, like one and two. She definitely had some shit going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, her running around in that like little nighty she had on. Like I oh, like man. the way you work it. No diggity. <laughs> exactly, man. I got nothing, man. I got what do you got? What do you got for her? I'll call her Princess Leia. The only real trivia I had, she basically rewrote all of her dialogue and she had improvised the line, May the Force be with you when she met Fred, but at the time they just cut it. They didn't want to risk any kind of legal action. So that was that. Which is probably a smart move. I mean, considering the giant that is Star Wars and Lucasfilms and then this little fucking thing. Yeah, this pissant film. So that's basically the only people I really wanted to touch on. Are you good with just moving on? Yeah, I mean, Tim Matheson was in like a fuck ton of things, but I didn't really have anything for him. He was just basically D-bag. Douchebag. Yep, I agree. Are you ready to get into Slay by Play? Let's do it. Let's fall in love. So the movie starts out, right, with the adorable little girl. And she, what does she say to her mom? She says something. I think she calls like, the she's like story bullshit, bullshit or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is great, right? She reminds me of the girl, one of the movies, one of the child's play movies. Okay, I could totally see that. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the yeah, little yeah. girl, the little bratty girl. Yeah. I'm all about it. So then basically it's establishing that like there's something askew with this kid. The mom does react like she's aghast. So, you know, like this isn't like acceptable behavior. It's not like we're an idiocracy and she's just allowed to be like bullshit. And then it cuts really abruptly to like the modern day uh, where it's her life is just kind of languishing in the shit. There's a completely separate intro to the film where it's her at a bank and you find out that her husband like closed the bank account and that's how she runs into Mickey. Uh, it doesn't really touch on her being a court reporter or anything. It's really weird. Uh, so I might get the two confused because I did dumb research, but it was just really awkward <laughs> opening. It was, it was way cringier. Yeah. It's definitely kind of a depressing way to start the film, right? All within what the span of a lunch hour, like they said, she finds out that her husband is leaving her for, Annabella, which I feel like is the most random name ever. I'm like, that's the name of our dog, almost. <laughs> well, and I love that the, the, no pet name, no abbreviation, like Annabella every single time. I love you, Annabella. Oh, yeah. Annabella, Annabella. <laughs> they were definitely selling on that name. So you find out that her husband left her. She's you know talking to Janie on the payphone, right? Which was a thing back in the day, once upon a time, right? She left her purse in a car without an alarm system to go use a payphone. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently one of the extras or one of the actors that either bashed in the window or stole the car was either, 
I don't know, part of the production crew or something. I know yeah. producer Paul Webster and co-writer slash executive producer Anthony Fingleton had cameos. Webster's the guy who breaks into her car and steals her purse. Fingleton is the guy who's wine tasting at the party. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she has a shitty day, right? She gets back to the court. You know, you find out that she's a stenographer. Yep. Okay. Hey, I got it. Cool. Um, I don't understand how those work. I never really understood how those work. So basically, they use a system of codes to create words that actually having to type the whole thing. So it's done by gestures, not by characters like normal typing is. So you could type more quickly. Interesting. Yeah. Now, is this something that's like a lucrative career or is it like... It can be, uh, but I mean, they're, the courts generally don't pay hugely well, but you can get good benefits and pensions and stuff. But I mean, basically, a lot of people go into this profession. If you're the one running a business and you hire people underneath you, it could be good. But it's mostly so that you could have the freedom of schedule to be like, okay, I'm only going to work on Tuesday. I'm only going to work between nine and one, that kind of thing. It's not something where you're going to be like a trillionaire. That's interesting. I wonder how hard it would be to learn how to do it. Not necessarily thinking like, okay, I'm going to break off and have a career as a stenographist, but it just seems like such a random thing for somebody to be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to up and try and do this. I've known several people who've like gone into it and then just bailed. Like really? It was just too hard. And yeah, so you're already talking about accruing a significant student loan debt to just like be like, nope, I hate this. (laughs) it's not the same thing as typing it's very different in in, you know the technical elements of it yeah and always in my mind i imagine like a stenographist as like this like super angry old lady that just like (laughs) fucking sneers at everything i thought you were telling me to like shush or something no i've had them shush me i've had them be like sir you need to slow down and i'm like do you realize how fast i talk all the time this is how i talk (laughs) on my podcast this is talking to my wife this is how i talk to my kid this is how i talk to myself when i masturbate and i say mean things at my own expense this is how fast i talk (laughs) deal with it okay back to the story the old five knuckle shuffle while calling myself the c word you know what i'm saying that's normal (laughs) that's totally normal i mean who does it right exactly so she gets fired from her job it's kind of fucked up. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's just awkward and it's a bummer. Obviously, after the fact, all makes sense on why she now starts seeing imaginary people, right? Because right. you're like, okay, so she's having a nervous breakdown. Well, That's also, what's going on. We don't establish that she likes her job. So for all I care, I'm like, okay, fine. She seems financially secure. So what the fuck does she care, right? Does she though? Because see that car she was driving? It's a little, it's a bit jank ass, especially compared to her husband with his you know, fine ass automobile that he's test driving in. Which it's just seems so strange that he's her husband. It just doesn't seem like it adds up, right? I feel like they, it would be like a fiance, maybe for sure. But like they already like took the plunge, right? Does and that they, make sense? They've been married for two years, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like he has the nice car and she has the shit and her life's in shambles and his is seemingly like amazing. So it's not quite them like conjoined together already. It's like, okay, well, I'm agreeing to marry you and, you know, do the whole fiance thing. But I don't quite know what your whole story is. I think it's supposed to be like it's all it's all like the gold foil on top of a turd, right? Like. He's not actually affluent. He's just playing the part. Like I've, I get that kind of vibe to a certain extent because he doesn't really have culture. Like when it comes to the whole scene with the wine tasting and stuff, he just seems like kind of an idiot pretending. 
Oh, yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, he had no idea what to do with the wine until he saw somebody else do it. And he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I should spit this into this bucket. So basically, she goes home to her mom's house because she has no other options. And she finds an old jack-in-the-box. And it starts like, ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-da-da. Fucking terrifying. Right? Yeah. Honestly, it's weird. I mean, I would be fucking out of there. Like, nope. I'm gone. I just start hitting it with a hammer. <laughs> I go full on Triple H and I'd reach under my bed and pull out a sledgehammer and be like, sorry, Shawn Michaels is back. Slam. Yeah, man. Basically drop dead. Fred would essentially drop dead. Yeah. End of story. You know, this would be a really fun juxtaposition with April Fool's Day with that stupid Jack in the Box, which is our Patreon bonus episode for this month. So you can subscribe at any level. You can copy that episode. <laughs> so, yeah. From there, you, you've already had her mom establish the rule about like no nothing on the carpet, blah, blah, blah. So immediately he goes and gets shit on his feet and smears shit all over it. Then she's worried about ink. And so you know how the little glass jar falls and she catches it? Yeah. The lid wasn't affixed to it. I watched multiple takes where it spilled out. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why wouldn't you just glue it on and not have to take multiple <laughs> takes, you numb nuts? They didn't have the budget for the glue, man. <laughs> so then the next day they wake up, and this is where you get the famous pancake face for pancake face, where his head is stuck in the fridge after he looks at her mother's vagina puss and says that there are cobwebs in there. Yeah. That's so this weird, movie. man. So weird. It's a kid's movie, right? It took him 12 hours to get the prostheses on and off. Oh, no. 12. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's half a day of your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts, man. I think it's really weird how they kind of portrayed his neck stretching as he's like trying to pull his head out. from. (laughs) That was kind of a dark. It definitely looks like something else. That thing that you're doing while watching that scene from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So with his old pancake face, right? I mean, I vividly remember watching that as a kid or, you know, I mean, it's something that's lasting. Oh, for sure. It's on the back cover of the DVD and everything. Because it's also like the most expensive visual gag they get with him besides doing the Tex Avery eyes, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was uh, another upskirt, right? Yep. A wooga. A wooga. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So through various happenstance or whatever, he's ruining her life. He tricks her into going home by leaving her a voicemail being like, I'm Charles and I want to rub uglies. And she's like, Charles wants to rub uglies with me. Let's go home. Charles isn't there. I don't mean to jump in, but I think it was a letter. Yeah. It was like a letter left on the ground. You said voicemail. Because I'm from the 21st century. (laughs) (laughs) Who writes letters anymore? So Drop Dead Fred apparently... Tricks her. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I'm I didn't a fucking moron. That. I'm okay with it. I know what's going no, on. Shut up, dude. Shut up. Come no, on, man. It's fine. We're I, we're keeping it in, so don't even try. <laughs> you were saying, Mister Man. So she gets tricked into thinking that her husband wants her back because she finds a letter, like apparently slipped under the door, saying, "Hey, I want you to meet back at the apartment, and everything is going to be all hunky dory." Only to find out that it wasn't written by him at all, but by who? Pancake Face. <laughs> by Pancake Face. Could you imagine how pissed off you'd be? 
that would suck. Oh. I mean, honestly, if it comes down to it, I would probably probably just kill myself. <laughs> she was almost there. I feel like a couple times within this film, she was um, one bad prank away from just, you know, putting on the old noose. I'm losing it. Yeah, I could totally see that. Right. And how dark would that be? <laughs> yeah. Drop dead Fred's just like hanging around, just like dancing around as oh. she's like swinging back and forth. And then he, he has a sad realization that as she dies, so does he. And he's like, no, after it's too late because the light in her eyes has faded. Wow. It got really dark. I did, right? <laughs> I went full on Shakespearean tragedy and I was like, oh, you think you know sad stuff? I'll show you sad. Right. I just had like a picture of like Shawshank Redemption. She just like etching into like the beam where she hangs herself, like her initials with like her husband that never loved her. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this quarantine's had a negative effect on our well-being. I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah, man. <laughs> Would you imagine us saying that in 2019? Nope. Yeah, that's so 2020. <laughs> so in order to get away from her tormentor, she goes and hangs out with her pal, Janie. Uh, who doesn't have a gun short of my Aerosmith but joke. But she has a boat. Dude, I'm on a boat, motherfucker. Don't you air forget. That's a sweet boat, man. Apparently it's an actual residence. Yeah, it is, which is nuts. And so like th- she's given the old steamboat willy to her boss and she's like, <laughs> I get to fuck his face one time a month, you ungrateful shit bag. And her friend's like, but please. That's so like weird to hear her say now that I like actually watched the entire film. So you hear her say it and it just never dawned on me. I get to see him and, you know, do this thing one time a month. At first, I'm just like, huh, that's strange. Maybe they just have weird work schedules and he's out of town a lot of the time. Nope. Come to find out that that's the one day a month that the wife is out of town. Right. So from there, she leaves for work with the guy who's like, hey, your friend's fucking weird. And she's like, she's not weird. And he's like, no, she's fucking weird, bro. (laughs) And then uh, to prove that she's fucking weird, she and her imaginary friend sink the boat. I have to say I'm a little disappointed of all the like shitty hacky humor in this that they didn't go. You thunk my battleship was really a letdown. There you go. There you go. And what I think is so funny about this is right after it happens, uh, she goes up to Janie and she explains the whole situation. And you would imagine, I mean, if somebody were to like burn down my house, yeah, I would be more than a little pissed, man. I'd be a little peeved a little bit. Yeah, Brian, you burned down my fucking house. I'm not talking to you again until the insurance <laughs> investigation's over. Done. <laughs> I do a good job about it, though. I mean, I I, I would never do that. That's an insurance <laughs> fraud. <laughs> so from there, she goes, and it's basically her running into Mickey, this kid from her childhood. That's actually what starts the whole, like, oh, remember Drop Dead Fred? Because you were a fucking terrible kid, but I'm still madly in love with you, and it's kind of weird. And so they go on a couple like little date things and it's it's cute. I like I like how much he likes her. It's very endearing. It's like if she was dating a Labrador as a human. It when, almost seems like he is permanently like a kid. Infantile, yeah. Even in like a, an adult form, right? But just like the thought process of like a kid. And he's just like, oh my God, I love the way you're acting. Let's throw spaghetti everywhere. And, and you're, uh, you're selling it way too hard, bud. I 
fucking love when he's messing with her as she's like holding her drink and she pours it on her lap. But the best one is when she puts her plate up to her face and he like follows her. He's like, mm, yeah, good food. <laughs> <laughs> like none of it makes sense in how he acts at that whole like lunch scene because there's sometimes where he's serious and he's like, why did you do that? Yeah. And then there's other times where he's just like, this is fun. I'm throwing food. And you're like, okay, I, I don't understand what's going on. How are you, you know, how did you trick some poor woman into having children with you? Seriously, he feels like <laughs> Jim Carrey and Yes Man where he's like, I'm just going to go with it. And that's just gonna, the way it's going to be. Like, I'm not going to ever have a second thought that this is a fucking terrible idea. And this woman's crazy. <laughs> it was definitely an interesting scene. So, Basically, she goes home and her mom is trying to get her help. The, the thing that you get to see that's validating that Fred exists outside of her mind is that when they go to a child psychologist, or actually, no, it's a child psychiatrist because a psychiatrist can prescribe medication, whereas a psychologist is a chiropractor of the mind. And by that, I mean they're fucking useless. Quote me on it. <laughs> the other imaginary friends are there and they're communicating and she can't see the other kids imaginary friends only her own which adds that whole element in an alternate ending she actually gets taken into imaginary friend land and then she goes into a recreation of her childhood home with fred where her father disappears and she gets to confront that again and that's how she comes to the new ending it's weird don't like it but i also don't like her kissing him yeah, I found that really strange when he disappears right before and she kisses him. You're like, are you kissing like the father figure that you never had, which is weird. They don't French or anything, thank God. But it's still even that little peck is like, nah, it definitely feels like it should have been a hug. Like a bro fist, maybe. I mean, a hug is fine, right? Because that's almost just like innocence of like two kids hugging. But when you have like the kiss on the lips, you're just like, oh. You're not about it. I don't know. That was a little strange. Yeah, not that great. And so after that, she's gets back with Charles the Wonder Douche after going to the party or whatever. And she's taking these pills to get rid of Fred. And then she finds out the dude is still cheating. She should have carried Underwood at his car. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no shit. Right? Next time no he'll shit. think before he cheats. Hey, yo, the one country song I know from the last 20 years. I think it's so great how. She opens up the door and I'm sorry, but if I'm on the phone and somebody opens the door, it could be like the slightest crack. And I'm like, <laughs> somebody's coming into the room. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like Annabella, 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 Annabella. Do we just full on throw in this song in like how many consecutive episodes? I don't I care. Like? It's the new thing. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh. Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh god damn it and what's so fucking awful about this is the entire time you're like why are you still with this douchebag it kind of is like serious on a serious note where you think how many relationships are actually like this and it's like super sad this, it's another one of those weird things where it's like lean into it if it's if we're supposed to feel like she's you know, making these poor decisions because she didn't have a father figure, then just acknowledge it in a more direct way instead of this like weird, you know, he's in a scene and then he's just not in the rest of the movie. It's just odd. Yeah. Yeah. She's just essentially like ignorance is bliss. And she's just like, okay, well, hey, you say she's not in the mix. 
So apparently Annabelle is nothing to worry about. But at the same time, I find you still talking to her and saying, I love you. But yeah, whatever. Not even I like you as a friend. I full on love you, Annabella, 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 Annabella. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, she she makes him dinner, right? <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm putting fucking Drano in that salad dressing for sure. I'm talking about the old mud pie, though. How about that? Like, <laughs> that was gross. It is. It's super gnar. It's actually probably some of the best effects work in the film. I read somewhere that one of the paintings that was behind him on the wall had a little bit of that shit get thrown on it and it wasn't insured. Apparently no. it was like a hundred it was like a hundred thousand dollar painting or something. No. And they kind of fucked they kind of fucked it up. Oh Jesus. <laughs> so take a hundred thousand away from that budget. So or uh, you know, from the gross essentially. What kind of numb nuts didn't know that? Whoopsie. <laughs> wah, wah. And so from there, we end up where she falls and bonks her head and she's in the dream and she goes into her childhood home. And basically through some weird visualization, she comes to the idea, I need to divorce Charles and goodbye, sir. Have a nice day. And then she goes to her childhood home. Yeah. How about that fucking tree that gets made? That's paper mache. (laughs) It's pretty terrible. It's bad. It looks like something that like, you know, the kindergartners would like take all of the toilet paper rolls and like glue them together. (laughs) What's funny is I've actually made trees that look better than this in my wife's fourth grade classroom. (laughs) Like not even trying to build myself up. It's just like it's it's not that hard. It's so bad. It's so bad. But yeah, that's where you get the fun scene where she decides that she doesn't need him anymore and they kiss. It's weird. And then he disappears. Yeah, not the coolest thing. I will say this scene, probably the worst part of it is this feels like you're just stealing Tim Burton's jazz. Like the design of the house, the weird spotlighting and everything. I'm just like, this isn't right. This is all stolen. Yeah, it definitely seems out of place. Like none of this was in any of the other parts of the movie at all. Exactly. So then it's back to the mom's house and she's like, you can't do this shit. And she's like, I can Fuck you. Get a friend. And I really, the ending of this movie is wrong. The ending of this movie is her mom going and meeting up with them at like a place. Her and Mickey and the girl, they're all at a place or whatever. And then it's not the girl, the little daughter who gets dropped dead, Fred, because she's already mischievous, according to Mickey. Right. So she either would have had to have a Fred or something like that before. So do you think Fred should have uh, appeared to the mom? With the mom. That's the best ending is like her walking away and be like, oh, you stop. And he, you know, she's like, I do not have cobwebs. And then she's like, wait, what? And she just looks in horror as her mom's like walking away, like slapping it behind her butt. That's the end of the movie. That would be pretty cool. Absolutely. I'm a better movie maker than these people. As much as you hate the mom. All of her motives are like true and she has like true intentions. Yeah, dude, she's not daughter. that terrible. Like she's just trying. Right. Yeah. As a single parent who kind of had the husband walk out on her and basically her kid was her life. And, you know, she's just trying to get her daughter back. And I mean, unfortunately, she's a little controlling and whatnot, but she just wants what's best for her. It's really sad. Like, you know, there are times as a parent where you like have to be like the voice of reason or like propriety. And it's like truly, you know, let the kid be wild and you want to let the kid be wild. But you're like, I have to instill 
this so that it's not harder to that in the future and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's so sad because you could see like, just like you said, you know, she's, I don't think that she's that bad. I really don't. I think that she might be a bit shrill, but I mean, it's really, I've seen so many worse depictions of mothers. I don't know. Have you seen Carrie? Huh? (laughs) Piper Laurie over here? Jesus. They're all going to laugh at you. She doesn't fucking stab her kid. Boom. Not the worst mother ever. (laughs) So yeah, basically it comes to it where she realizes she doesn't need Charles. She doesn't need Fred. She don't need no man. But then she immediately runs off into the arms of Mickey. And it implies that her his daughter has Fred. And she says, oh, send him my love. In the alternate ending, she's actually reading the little girl a book. They close the door. Some chaos happens where her bear's head gets ripped off. And she's like, it's Fred. And then they have like a kind of a serious look at each other. And then they all like, oh, well, send them my love. Ha ha. And I was like, no, no, no. The other better ending would be that the little girl's there with the teddy bear's head ripped off. And she's like, it was Fred. And she's like, oh, fuck this. This imaginary <laughs> friend's going to kill this little girl. Wrong Fred. Wrong Fred. <laughs> Carol, I am. I, what I was expecting to happen was when the babysitter is like, you know what? I'm fed up with this bullshit. I quit. Looks like you're going to have to find a new babysitter. And then Mickey like looks it over at her lovingly and says, can I hire you to be my new babysitter? <laughs> it's like, I'm gay as fuck. So I'm certainly not going to be having sex with you. But <laughs> I figured, you know, since you didn't have a job. Cause you're a pathetic loser. <laughs> also, if you teach my daughter to smell every plate like that, I'm going to wax your eyebrows off. <laughs> Weirdo. I was just playing along because I needed a nanny. <laughs> so much better than the ending we got. I know. It's the ending we deserve. I really kind of wish that it was rocks fall, everyone dies, which my <laughs> friends were playing D&D years ago. And it became like a, a colloquialism with all of our friends where basically they like they had some pressing thing they had to run off to and so the dm was like you know what fuck this rocks fall everyone dies let's go and so anytime we just want to get something over with it's just rocks fall everyone dies you guys can feel free to steal it i like it that's great i feel like that should be on a t-shirt you know if you people want it we'll do it we have another shirt in the works if you've bought a shirt from us please let us know how it's holding up because we're probably going to go back to the same manufacturer uh, unless we find out that like y'all ain't about it but that is definitely in the works we're actually looking at that probably by the end of next month so that could be a friggin sweet would you want a shirt brian (laughs) we sold out of our last shirt so quickly last time that you didn't get one and neither did i yeah you know what i wouldn't mind a t-shirt but at the same time i wouldn't mind waiting as well if we have a lot of clamor from the fans and everybody that wants some i would hate to take away a t-shirt from somebody else that could basically advertise for us <laughs> i'd rather have a profit than a t-shirt am i right <laughs> no but i'll honestly uh i would probably end up sleeping with the dogs if i didn't end up saving one for the wife so duly noted maybe just one what did you think about the movie i mean classic tragic trashic what do you think oh it's definitely a trashic for me yeah it's good bad it's by no means a good movie like do not get it twisted but there is there's meat on the bone like there's stuff here where i'm like i'm kind of into it you know what i mean like i could see like my imagination supplants it so because of my imagination i now have two movies in my head i have the <laughs> silly like disney version and then i have the dark psychological thriller 
on the other side. What about yeah, you, Ryan? I definitely see that as well. I, I agree with you, and I think it's uh, it's it's a trashic. And I think if it had a better budget, you can just go fucking all over the place with this. You can cut a lot of stuff that uh, didn't necessarily need to be in the movie, and you could just add so much more as far as um, the props and the different uh, special effects and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. It's something that I feel like I enjoyed a lot more as a kid. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I was also like six or seven when I saw this. So, anything was going to be fucking hilarious. So. Yeah, so long as you're being allowed to watch TV and not being forced to like sew Nikes together, like, yeah, you'll enjoy it as a kid. <laughs> Agreed. So, with that, uh, what horror movie would you pair this with? I would have picked It, Stephen King's It. Oh, there you go. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. I had also thought Beetlejuice, but that's not really scary. And then like Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of. But then like there's movies like It Follows and stuff where somebody is like trying to escape something. Because at certain points in this movie, she feels like she's trying to escape him. But then like it just it's inconsistent. So I was like, ah, fuck it. Let's just put Pennywise in there and move on. Yeah, I was honestly thinking Poltergeist. She initially just becomes like friends with like a spirit. And it almost seems like an innocent spirit at first. Oh, we could do Exorcist too, Pazuzu. Ah, there you go. That's interesting. That's a good thought. I changed mine. <laughs> I'll edit that out. And we'll, we'll, what, nah, what are you going to suggest? Nah, <laughs> keep it all. I brainstormed with you and we finally got one that I'm proud of. There you go. Exorcist 2. Pazuzu. So yeah, with that, please stay tuned. Next month is going to be a fucking crazy banana rama ding dong shamalama hoo hoo where we're doing what we call the quarantine up that's right because we're all so goddamn stir crazy and sick of talking to our spouses and each other we're bringing in a bunch of other podcasts that we enjoy and we're going to be having them as guests slash co-hosts and i'm actually going to be guesting on our friends at the movie dumpster on our show we're going to be doing house from 1986 and then their show we're going to be doing house two semicolon the second story Fun fact, my favorite subtitle of all time. <laughs> it's it's really good. Awesome. It's really good. Well, Brian, is it that time? I think so. If you ain't watching him dying, you ain't really trying. For Brian, for myself, for all the puppies, kitties, and co-mingling body fluids out there, this is Jake reminding you to go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. Now that episode was fun. It's not necessarily the best movie of all time. In fact, it probably sucks really bad. But, you know, we did it. Because we've all probably seen it, or at least heard reference of it. And, I mean, what's investing an hour listening to us talk compared to an hour and a half watching the movie if you haven't seen it? One band that you should check out and immerse yourselves in, unlike Drop Dead Fred, would be Alouth. These guys are awesome. Very often, I think everybody has dealt with a creative type in their life, right? So when I reach out to bands to do this, I'm always like, Oh, hey, we featured you on the show. All I, Literally all I need you to do is to send one email. And I get strung along for weeks, months, or even a year. But my point is, they got back to me within a minute. I had the MP3 within two minutes. And I had listened to it three times within an hour. So this is their song, Divine. They're currently working on a new record, so please follow them on things like facebook.com 
which people still use. Uh, Bandcamp, you can stream their music on Spotify. And here's the great thing. They actually have a show that's scheduled so far in advance that COVID restrictions might be lifted. So if you live in the Baltimore, Maryland area, you can check them out. They are playing at Me Carolito in Baltimore, Maryland with Body Melt and Uncle Buck and Constituents. And I don't know. I don't care about those other bands. They're not on Hidden Tracks. Our friends allowed are. So go support them. Enjoy. Let them know how you found them. Divine. Divine. 